0: this festival and concert season will be all about the boots and Takovas is your stop before attending your next concert.
1: up things, little food for your soul. Life ain't always pretty, but hey, it's pretty beautiful, beautiful Laugh a little more, fam. Tighten up your core, Said ek, you're kicking it with four things. With Amy Brown.
0: Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope you're having a great week. I have a guest on with me today for all four things. Her name is Leanne Ellington, and I was introduced to her by my friend Laura Lee, who's at Laura Lee Balanced on Instagram. If you remember her from the podcast, or maybe you follow her on Instagram because she has such amazing recipes and a couple of really awesome cookbooks. And she was also part of our Outweigh series. She was someone that shared her disordered eating story. So she reached out to me and said, hey, I really feel like Leanne, could be great for the podcast. So she introduced us, Leanne and I started emailing, and then we finally got around to recording this week. Leanne is an author. She is a science-loving educator. We'll hear that when we talk, how she brings science into things. And then you'll also hear in our chat that she is a chocolate chip cookie connoisseur. And she has some amazing recipe. And if she ends up giving it to me, I'll see if she'll let me share it with y'all too, because apparently her chocolate chip cookie bar situation concoction that she puts together is pretty awesome. Elian loves to empower women. I could tell that right away when I met her, especially since she showed up to my house wearing empower women tea. Actually, the one that we sell through the shop forward, which my daughter did the artwork for, I was definitely surprised, but I could tell she wanted to show up being supportive of what we do. And that was super cool. And I could just see her passion for wanting to help women change how they feel on the inside. Maybe we all need to be breaking up with thoughts that hold us back. And hopefully after you listen to this, you could maybe pinpoint some thoughts that you're having that you need to split with. (laughs) The four things you're going to hear us talk about are self-sabotage, lasting change, and that's through some self-image work, the cost of skinny, which her story is an interesting one for sure as her dad took her to her first Weight Watchers meeting when she was only eight years old. So, she has put in a lot of work to undo what she was exposed to in the diet world at an incredibly young age. And lastly, we talk gratitude. She's got some insight on why it's good for us from the science side. And then she shares four things that she is grateful for. So here is my chat with Leanne and I hope you enjoy it.
1: First thing.
0: Okay, so let's talk about what's really causing self-sabotage. Yeah, you know, I think
2: it's really first important to identify what self-sabotage is not, you know, so we can then talk about what it is. You know, I hear from women all the time and they think like, hey, I'm such a self-sabotager. I know what to do but can't get myself to do it. And I believe that that's actually not how it works. Self-sabotage doesn't work that way in the brain. You know, nobody clearly says, hey, I think I'm going to sabotage myself today. You know, but what it is is it's something going on higher up in the brain that's causing us to feel like that because we wish. Witness ourselves time and time again say hey this time it's gonna be different or I'm gonna start again on Monday and then we witness ourselves not following through on those promises that we keep or the promises that we make because we don't keep them and we think hey there's something wrong with us I must there must be a me problem you know and a lot of women think you know especially around the food and body side of things like I have a food problem I have a body problem I am weak willed or a willpower problem but I don't believe it's any of those things I think it's what's happening that's actually causing the self-sabotage so if we can identify what those are and eliminate the cause it's the difference between like identifying that there's a fire and constantly putting the fire out versus saying, Hey, there's a cause of the fire. Let's address the cause so that the fire stops popping up. And that's when it leads into what self-sabotage actually is. So what is the, the girl who cried wolf part of this Yeah, story? you know, the girl who cried wolf, I think we all have that version of ourselves where we're like, hey, uh, this time it's going to be different. This Monday, you know, I'm going to start something. and we But we get to that point where we stop actually telling people about it because we are afraid that we're going to get called out on you know not following through on our promises. That version of ourselves, we all, you know, I can speak for myself, but a lot of women I talk to pride ourselves on being really reliable for other people. But when it comes to ourselves, we just make promises because we think we should or it's better than not doing anything. And we end up living in the gray where we're not really in, but we're not really out. And that sometimes can be a lot harder, just kind of living in that gray. And we end up becoming that girl who cried wolf, which is like, hey, I say I'm going to do something and I don't and we believe ourselves less and less every single time that happens. It's not benign. It can actually be really harmful to our self-esteem and self-image.
0: So what do we do to break that pattern?
2: Yeah, for sure. I think the first thing is just really like identifying the, the three main things that I show my clients that cause self-sabotage and how we can eliminate those. You know, the first one would just be, you know, setting yourself up for what I call a losing game, you know, and the, the diet mentality and the weight loss mentality is a great way to just kind of, you know, model this. But, you know, anytime you are dealing with, you commit to something. And it's full of restriction, deprivation, punishment, persuading yourself to do the things that you don't want to do or that you think you should do. That's a losing game. We know ourselves. We're never going to follow through on that long term. It's just it's too much threat to the brain. We don't enjoy something. We're always going to be forcing ourselves to white knuckle or willpower our way through. So anytime something is, you know, again, that force, that persuasion, shaming yourself into doing something, coercing yourself, that is going to affect, cause self-sabotage or what appears to be self-sabotage because not even the most, you know, will-powered, strong, disciplined person can sustain something that that's really unsustainable long-term. We're all going to feel like victim to self-sabotage. So the first thing is really just, you know, not setting yourself up for that losing game, uh, the restriction, the, the punishment, something that's just super, super hard and gets harder the more you practice it rather than getting easier the more you practice it. That's the first thing. The second thing I would say would be you can't outsmart your self-image. And we're going to talk about that more, but you know, you can't out diet it. You can't out willpower it. So if you have that voice in your head that's saying, Oh, this is just what I do. I just don't finish the things that I start. Like this is just who I am. I am weak willed. I am a self-sabotager. You can positive motivate and rah-rah yourself to the cows come home. But eventually that self-talk and that self-image, the default that's there will take over. It will, it will win, so to speak. And so again, if the self-talk is, is going, is counteracting what you're, you know, trying to stick with, again, it's going to win and you're going to feel like a self-sabotager. But in reality, you're, you've just never addressed the self-talk that's causing you to play out again, the reality that you've played over in your head.
0: I do that for sure. I I I mean, I'm sure we all do, but I mean, you're saying that. And I know that the things I repeat to myself over and over that, necessarily aren't getting me anywhere. Yeah, for sure. They're holding me back. Yeah,
2: and this is, um, this is never me coming from some high mountain. Even when I talk to my clients, I'm, it's not like, oh, that was so 2016, like address that. You know, this is the kind of awareness and language that I'll be practicing the rest of my life because it's such a, a you know a, a pertinent thing you know our thoughts create our outcomes our thoughts create our results and if we don't align the two we're going to end up you know again falling into that self sabotage trap but it's not really self sabotage it's just our brain that habitual thought pattern that's just kind of just doing the same thing over and over and, again i mean i'm sure
0: you'll get into this when you tell yourself that lie say the first one comes to the head of like i'm this is just who i am yeah. i'm always this way i am this and it's something negative do you have something you instantly yeah. recommend we do to you know no, it's like, and
2: it, it is a bigger conversation because it's really like committing to shifting the thinking. But one of the things, the distinctions I teach my clients is the data versus the drama. You know, the drama is where all the shame, the blame, the guilt, the comparisonitis, the inner perfectionistic thoughts are, that's where they live in the drama. So just to give you an example, I ate a cookie. That's just the data, right? I ate a cookie is the data. It's the reality of what happened, right? The drama is that was bad that was wrong, cookie, I'm a self-sabotager, I'm weak-willed, that's what I do. It's whatever story meaning added justification is, is attached to it that's where the pain lives,
0: yeah. you know? Well, and with that particular example, and I know you're just giving one, the bummer about foods being labeled good and bad is society has done that for us. Totally. So then it's not even us yeah. making up the lie. It's like society has said, no, this is bad. Absolutely. You shouldn't eat this. Yeah. Or the right. diet industry, which is- Totally. multi-bajillion dollar- For <laughs> sure. Industry. And of course they want us to think that some stuff is good and bad. That's well, speaking of- You know, we talked about unlearning this year. That's something I have worked super hard to unlearn is that I'm not bad. The cookie is not bad and I'm not bad for eating the cookie. Absolutely. And it's that, unfortunately, that
2: mainstream, I put that in air quotes, has become the air quotes authority, you know? And that's really what I'm here to do is it, because it's not as simple as, there's good foods, bad foods. There's no good foods or bad foods. And it's easy for me to say that in theory until you shift the paradigm. And I, I call it the diet and weight loss mentality. Cause it is an entire language. I learned it since I was eight years old. Yeah. You know, it's, we get indoctrinated into it and it, takes that kind of like line in the sand where we have to first, and this is really the, the purpose of these four four things that I'm sharing is like, let's shift the paradigm. If we keep practicing more of that same conversation, we're going to be in that level of consciousness. And in turn, the solution that we really need is not going to live in that conversation. It's like the way I described the diet and weight loss mentality. People think they want to get better at it, but in reality, it is the problem. So what we really need is to hold, learn a whole different language, a new paradigm. And the <laughs> Unfortunately, the, the, a lot of the health and, and weight loss and wellness world isn't really talking about that. They're having conversations about the same things. Like there are no, no food, good foods and bad foods within the context of the same paradigm. So the conversation doesn't change. And the only way the game can change is when we change the conversation. It's not enough to just acknowledge we have to actually make those shifts in our brain. And just like you, I was indoctrinated into it too. So it's a hard shift to make, but the first step is becoming aware that the language and the, the paradigm of thinking that we're using is the problem right food's not the problem right it's and the good not- and bad
0: cookie that was the example but any language we're saying in our yeah. head that if we're repeating it and that becomes the mantra, if it's negative, then that's the yeah, problem.
2: Exactly. That The drama lives in the judgment. So you ask, what's the easiest way to shift it? The easiest way to shift it is look for the drama, bring yourself back to the data. Look for the drama, bring yourself back to the data. You know, and I work with moms too. Oh, I, I was late to pick up my kid. That's the data. The drama is I'm a bad mom. What's wrong with me? All that. It's like, no, the, the data is I was late. Well,
0: yeah, but then that also, then yeah. I'm like, gosh, this, this is happened to me the other day, and, and it actually it. did open up a can of words and yeah. drama because I think. For me and our family right now, we're working on consistency and predictability and, yes. and being late can cause like Absolutely. all kinds of unknown issues. But that's yeah, that's for also for sure. another day. What's the next thing the, yeah, that you're going to get the into last for self-sabotage?
2: Thing, yeah, for self-sabotage, I was just going to say like what's causing it would just be, and this is really the big one. This is if it's wired in your brain. So especially when it comes to where I notice this, again, showing up as an effect and a symptom is like one of the first things I do with my clients is we do a brain audit and, it's a distra- and part of it is a distraction audit. Like how much time are you spending mindlessly eating, mindlessly scrolling through Facebook and Instagram, numbing out on Netflix, online shopping, drinking wine, whatever it is that we use to distract, numb, procrastinate, or just it's an emotional stress, kind of, you know, really emotionally triggering thing that we're using to numb or distract. There's a brain thing going on. You can't out willpower that. You can't white knuckle yourself through it. There is what our brains are actually looking for is this oxytocin and we're giving it endless amounts of dopamine. And so we're being overfed yet under undernourished and what we really need is this like social emotional connection in our brain and so again you can't outsmart and out you know willpower the wiring in your brain And unless that gets addressed you're going to constantly show up as if you're a self-sabotager but it's just your brain doing its thing
0: so you're confirming to us because i fully believe this but i think it's hard for people to grasp at times it was for me we can rewire
2: our brains. Absolutely. Neuroplasticity says it. I mean, at any age, they used to think like after a certain age, you couldn't. It's like, no, the brain is this moldable, pliable, plastic thing that we become what we practice. One of my favorite quotes about how the brain works is our brain becomes whatever it rests on. You know, so when my brain is resting on Netflix and mindless eating, like, it's, it's a mush of emotion, of shame, of all these things. But when I, you know, radically take ownership of my emotional health and take ownership of the thoughts that create the feelings that create the outcomes that I, you know, am creating day in, day out, that's when everything shifts. And, and by the way, this, again, like I used to be such a victim to my circumstances. I used to be this person that's like, life is just happening to me. And my, my body is just who I am. And like all this extra weight, like, this is just who you are, Leanne, or these struggles that I had with food and like my, you know, addictions to sugar and, My disordered eating, I was like, great, and I and I lived as this victim to my circumstances because I didn't know what I didn't know, and I didn't have the awareness of changing my thoughts. And I know changing your thoughts isn't as sexy as hey, go drop ten pounds in ten minutes, but it's like we're talking about lifelong transformation here. Nobody wants short-term change that they just give back because they can't sustain it anymore and think they're a self-sabotager. So, all of this is just coming from my experiences of like all the stuff that didn't work, all the things that left me in my own food and body and shame prison, and just really what again, radical ownership and taking responsibility, but also knowing what it is is it's causing it is huge
0: yeah. And then I think accepting too, which society then defines, this is what you should look like. Yeah. And when when you realize and can accept that everybody's bodies are so different and that there is not a, this is the normal, or this, yeah. this is what you should be striving towards. You can get that part out. I just think of like yeah. brain clutter. When you're totally. cluttered with, that's my goal. If you really do want mental clarity and to stop self-sabotaging in whatever area, so for now, we're talking about body image stuff. I think that ditching that part of it then gives you that freedom to be like, okay, I I do want to work on me being a better person. And if that means I end up in a pair of jeans that's five sizes bigger than I thought, or who knows, two sizes smaller than where I was, so be it. Absolutely, yeah. Because that's what I would get stuck on well, this is what we're I'm trying to look like this mm. is what I'm supposed to look like yeah. and then when I let that go all the for other sure. stuff sorry it made room in my brain for all yeah. this other more important work because yeah. i was focused on the wrong things totally. And just I too I want that to be a message of normalizing all the bodies yes absolutely and
2: it's one of those things like we another part that we got indoctrinated into is like we either have to be like skinny or happy healthy or happy you know hungry or overweight I mean it's just like all these ores and it's like no I want to be happy and healthy. And oftentimes why I'm so passionate about the weight loss mentality and the diet mentality and kind of acknowledging that it is a mentality that really it's it's a disordered thought process and the the acceptance movement is, is huge, but it's like, how do we get there? One of the reasons it's so dangerous is because when we move towards weight loss, we're actually nine times out of 10 moving away from happiness and away from health. And what do we want at the end of the day? The reason people think they want to lose weight is because they think they'll be happy and have freedom and have peace of mind. But usually the diet mentality just Takes them in the direction of being in a prison and unhappiness. Yeah, and it's like, get what you want and what you think you want is to be skinny and fit and lean and all that. It's like, no, you want who, who you want to be at the end of that rainbow. But if you practice being the version of yourself that shames herself, blames herself, you know, moves in opposite direction of health and happiness, what you see is who you be. Like, you'll take that with you. And trust me, I, I got that really skinny, lean bod and I was miserable, you know, and it really is that it's an inner a job. As, soon, as cheesy as it sounds, it's, it's really is. You can't outsmart your self-image.
0: Well, the next thing I want to get into, speaking of, she brought that up, is the five ingredients of self-imaging. So we'll do that next. Yeah.
1: Second thing.
0: Okay, five ingredients of self-imaging. What you got for us?
2: Yeah, so, you know, one of the things is that, like I, like we were talking about in the last thing, we think we want to be, look a certain way, have a certain amount of money, a certain relationship status, all these things outside of us, right? And then if you're anything like me, you get those things and you don't do the inner work and it's all empty and meaningless at the end of the day. If you're not who you want to be or if you hate who you have to be to get there, what you have to do to get there. So one of the things that came out for me was, at, you know, kind of after I left the fitness industry, I gave myself permission to just get right with food and get right with my body and I'm like why is it that I have you know built successful businesses and have this body that I thought I wanted and this amazing lifestyle and you know all the recognition and I was on TV and like all this stuff and I'm like why do I feel empty and meaningless there's a number of things that led me to this but I had this realization that I never made over my self image and so a lot of you know self help and motivational stuff gave me some good tools but I really knew that there was some deep down beliefs that don't just go away after decades of thinking it so I started becoming this kind of mad scientist of the self-image and you know, what I came up with was the holes for me. Like where is that gap between who I know I want to be and who I'm witnessing myself time and time again, showing up as no matter how many times I say, no, this is the last time or I'm going to do differently. There was something I couldn't outwork. And the other side of it is self-love felt a little frilly to me for a while because it stayed very logical. It's like, you know, love yourself no matter what and accept yourself no matter what. And I love that in theory, but it's like, wait a minute, I've been shaming myself for 30 years. Like how do you just automatically start loving yourself because the world tells you to, right? So I needed to make it more practical, applicable for myself. And my, lo- I call it like science with a splash of woo. Like I love the woo woo, but I needed some some logic brain science-based stuff. And so as I was going through the self-image, kind of the science of it and looking at the, the way the female brain is wired and a lot of my stuff is skewed towards the female brain because I am my own first client. Like I just needed to figure out, I call it owning my own crazy um, is how I help other people own theirs. And when I say crazy, I mean we're not crazy. We're just human, but we feel like it sometimes. So the five ingredients are self acceptance, and we'll talk about that, self care, self esteem, self worth, and self endorsement. And I'll just t- quickly take you through all five of those, and you can ask me anything that feels yeah. curious for you. Self acceptance is, you know, it's twofold it's accepting yourself where you are, the weight that you are, wh- like wherever you are in life, but without all that shame, without all that blame without all that comparisonitis without without all that perfectionism so much easier said than done but you know the question i ask people is like what's the alternative right every where you are right now is where you are right now one of my favorite quotes is when you argue with reality you suffer so when you argue with where you are currently you suffer when you argue with your weight you suffer right so Any alternative to accepting where you are and who you are right now, you're gonna be constantly living in the past and the solution doesn't happen in the past. The solution happens here and in the future. So you're automatically gonna be problem-focused rather than solution-focused. But here's the other side of self-acceptance that people don't talk about because I think a lot of people talk about accepting who you are, but you don't always have to like where you are right now. You're allowed to want to say, "Hey, you know what? There's a version of me that I would feel better in my body, feel better in my accomplishments, all those things." Like, you're allowed to desire to want more for yourself. But don't shame yourself in the meantime while you're here. And I think that's what a lot of like self-acceptance movements are saying is like, "No, you're not allowed to want to change your body. You're not allowed to change yourself because that means you're not accepting yourself." And I think it's the difference between like loving and liking yourself. I can love myself and and prefer to be a version of myself that serves me. So the other side of self-acceptance is accepting that you don't have to accept where you are right now, but stay in the, the love conversation while you get there.
0: Gotcha. Yes, I've used that before, but not on myself. I've used that to a family member or your spouse or, you know, I love you, but I just don't like you right now. Absolutely. But we just need to continue to love ourselves and stay the course. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And accept where we are because when we argue with the reality of it, we're focusing on problems and that's where the suffering comes in. Yeah. Gotcha. So that's self-acceptance. Self-care is three-dimensional. You know, a lot of people are talking about self-care right now like it's a food and fitness thing, like it's a bubble bath thing, like it's a journaling thing and that's definitely part of it. But the paradigm I teach my clients is I teach PMS. It's physical, it's mental, and it's social-emotional. Social-emotional, I'll come back to you, but it's that part of the brain that we that that shows up when we were talking about in thing one about that mindless eating and mindless consuming, mindless scrolling. It's that social brain that we're actually looking for connection and oxytocin, but we're feeding it lots of dopamine and like short-term gratification. But I'll come back to that. So physical, mental, and social emotional. Physical is like, what do you need physically To take care of yourself. My definition of take care of yourself is, is your nervous system healthy? The nervous system is the queen of everything or the king, if you're a man listening. And it's basically the system of every system in our body. So however the nervous system is reacting right now, whether it's nervous or whether it's relaxed and at ease, it dictates like what branch of your nervous system you're in but it also dictates every system below it so gastrointestinal system is affected adrenals cardiovascular system musculoskeletal system respiratory system I could go on and on and on your nervous system is the queen or king of your of your brain and your body and so if you're constantly in that you know sympathetic branch of your nervous system it doesn't matter what you eat or how much you move if you're not really addressing it from the head on. So physical self-care is like, what do you need to take care of yourself on a physiological level? Getting yourself out of pain. I mean, everything. And it's, again, it's not a weight loss conversation. Like we said before, a lot of times the weight loss takes us away from that direction of health.
0: Yeah, very true. We had a doctor on our Outweigh series that I I hear him in my head all the time saying it over and over that the anxiety that we put when we're debating whether or not we should eat something or the stress we feel after we've eaten it, if we're playing the blame game and different things, all of that is releasing more harmful chemicals or whatever in our body than the actual food that we consumed. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. You know, I say, and this actually trickles down into the mental and social emotional cascade as well, because I, I talk about the tale of two cookies all the time. And basically notice the theme of chocolate chip cookies always is in my examples shows you where my love of food is. But if I eat a chocolate chip cookie and I'm eating it with peace and freedom and enjoying the deliciousness of it and connecting with my friends or family while I eat it. I'm in that relaxed branch of my nervous system and all system of systems are firing optimally. Gastrointestinal is firing optimally. You know, I'm producing, you know, dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin and musculoskeletally I'm relaxed. And my, my respiratory system is relaxed versus same cookie, no different. The data is I ate a cookie, but if the drama is shame, like I shouldn't eat that, that's bad, or this is wrong, or this is what I do. I'm in that sympathetic branch of my nervous system. Cortisol, adrenaline, epinephrine, my muscles are contracted, my breath is, you know, you know, not optimally firing. My gastrointestinal system is shut down because it thinks I'm running from a saber-toothed tiger. Like two totally different cascades that are happening based on the thoughts that we're thinking. So what I say all the time is it's not what you're doing, it's who you're being while you're doing the doing that determines how things process or don't. Like you're better off eating a chocolate chip cookie with peace than a kale salad in distress.
0: Yeah. So The P was your physical. And what's
2: the M and the The S? The M is mental. So really just like all the spinning plates that are in your mind and like typical stresses in your life, you know, are you taking care of that like it's part of your health? A lot of people aren't. They look at stress as last and mental mental duress as last. And they don't even think of it because again, it's not in this fitness and and food conversation. So they're not even thinking about it when it comes to self-care. And then the third would be that social emotional. How much are you taking care of your emotional brain and your social emotional brain? Are you isolated, lonely? All of those things are not benign, just like we just talked about in the Tale of Two Cookies feelings, emotions are not benign. Sadness and mental stress and distress. You're in that stress branch of your nervous system and they all overlap. So let's say I'm eating, I'm even exercising. When I'm already sympathetic dominant and I'm all stressed out and I go do a really high intensity at like exercise or circuit, I think it's good. Oh, it's, you know, adrenaline, all that. But it's like, no, it's actually a lot of threat to the nervous system and a lot of stimulus to the nervous system. You're better
0: off walking, taking a bath, breathing when you're in that distress. Or so, well, being still. Exactly. It's interesting to- yeah think of the science behind why not doing anything might be the best thing you could do for yourself.
2: Absolutely. One of your, like the best weight loss plans you want to go on, I call it a stress diet. Like you take get rid of all the physical, mental and social emotional stress in your life. If there's weight that's being held onto because your nervous system's holding onto it, it'll release it. Like it really is just science, you know? Food and fitness have a part, you know, don't get me wrong. Don't hear what I'm not saying, you know? But it definitely is such a bigger picture than that. And I, I wish the world was talking about it from that, you know, top-down approach. My
0: therapist told me that self-care for me is maybe just sitting down and watching an episode of Real Housewives. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Because it just, I don't know, that's my brain turns my brain off and I can just sit there and watch it. And uh, I don't always get to do it, but even some other shows or that my husband and I like to watch, it's totally different. That's not necessarily self-care. But if I have an opportunity to be alone for 20, 30 minutes and I can sit and do that because even with books right now I'm just constantly reading parenting books and or listening to audio books and mentally taking notes. And I feel like my brain is a million different directions. Absolutely. So just to be able to shut it off. And I would have never looked at that as self-care. I would yeah. look at that as just uh, like a guilty habit or a, yeah. a guilty pleasure. Yeah. Sorry that I shouldn't, I shouldn't right. be sitting here watching Real Housewives. I don't have time for this. Absolutely. But actually I've been given permission. I'm yes, a therapist. Yeah, And that's
2: the thing. I it's, need to do it. Yeah. That's why I also want to make the disclaimer of like all these things that I'm talking about. They're so personal. Like I can't tell you what your self-care plan is you have to become an advocate and become your own expert and figure out what that is and it's the distinction like one episode of Real Housewives or even two or whatever it is to just shut your brain off it's a tool of entertainment and relaxation all that versus if you watch 10 of them then it's a weapon of mass distraction and us just knowing the distinction because that's what the product of like putting a blanket statement around Real Housewives and saying it's bad or it's you know a guilty pleasure that's where we get the judgment it's like no it's not it's my it's my self-care for today and that's why nobody can tell you what your Care plan is, and anybody that tries to tell you what's best for you, run fast and far. Nice. So what's after self-care? Yeah. So um, self-esteem, I call it the no like trust factor. Most women are just walking around, not trusting themselves because they've lost trust in themselves. They've witnessed themselves kind of like the girl who cried wolf, you know, making promises that they can't keep, don't have any intention of keeping or like don't want to keep, you know, they're making them because they think they should. And every time we do that, it's not benign. We believe ourselves less and less. And so I think falling in like and falling, like the no like trust factor, get to know yourself, which is what we're doing right now. These awarenesses I call them awareness awarenesses meaning like having the awareness that you have the ability to have an awareness of these things you know and then falling back in trust with yourself trusting yourself is that one of the first things I do with my clients is like where have you lost trust with yourself and bridging that gap because that's where we're out of integrity with ourselves that's what I call self-esteem
0: we've been going over trust a lot in our house because we want to make sure like hey I I trust you you have that there's something about when you can trust somebody else there's comfort there so I could imagine if we're not trusting our ourselves how uncomfortable yeah
2: and we can reflect it outwards like we can project on other people our lack of a trust of ourselves like really if I were to bottom line the trust factor it's like the promises you make and the promises that you keep like if you just monitor those two things and you like commit to being absolutely in integrity with those two things, your self-esteem will just go through the roof if all you do is monitor your promises. Yeah, easier said than done. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm school- I'm coaching myself all the time. Like this is me talking to me too, you know? So, and then yeah, the fourth one is self-worth. Like know what you're weighing, know what you're measuring. I grew up with a currency of when I lose a certain amount of weight or when I weigh a certain amount, gene size, how many pushups I can do, money in my bank account, relationship status, how many calories I ate that day. Like we're weighing and measuring ourselves by all these external factors. And by the way, those can be really powerful tools. It's not like totally stop weighing and measuring yourself by those things, but know when they're a tool and know when they're a weapon of comparison, shame, all those things, and then create a currency that actually reflects who you want to be. And that again, is just a rewiring of thinking and, and shifting what you're weighing and what you're measuring. That's my definition of self-worth because when I was just weighing my weight and you know clients or likes on Facebook, you name it, like I've weighed and measured them all, it's empty and meaningless. And it doesn't give you what you think it'll give you unless you really have that inner inner knowing and love.
0: Oh, and I'll just take this opportunity too to remind people that that's why we should never compliment someone's body. Yeah, it's a tricky subject. And mm-hmm. like you were talking about earlier, it can be triggering, yeah. Because it's like, that's if that's what someone is using to weigh their worth, yeah. then when you compliment it, then they are like, okay, yay, I'm, yeah. I'm worth more now. Absolutely. So I got to keep going. Totally, yeah. Uh, okay, Absolutely. the fifth thing.
2: The fifth thing, I call it self-endorsement. So you hear people say like, oh, I don't care what other people think about me. Not really possible. We're wired to care what other people think about us. Uh, we have that same part of the brain. It's called the ACC, but it's it's specifically dedicated to looking around and seeing what I call third-party awareness. Do they like me? Do they accept me? Do they connect with me? Do they think I'm cool? It's that social brain. Interestingly enough, it's actually bigger in the female brain. That's one of the differences between the male and the female brain. 99% of the male and female brain genetically are the same, but it's that 1% difference that makes a massive difference why women are told they're more emotional or wear their heart on their sleeves, we physiologically have a bigger emotional pain center in our brain. So we're wired to look for what other people think of us more. That's why I believe that the self-imaging work is actually, I don't wanna say more important for women, but that's why I, I'm you know, more purposeful about bringing it to women because we kind of need it more. But self-endorsement, what's not possible is not caring what other people think about us. What is possible is caring what you think and say and feel about yourself if not more, as much as what other people think about you. And writing your own narrative, endorse, like endorse yourself, validate yourself. People think that that is like, you know, cocky or, or you know, superficial or I'm bragging, but it's like, no, knowing again, crossover with self-worth, knowing your worth and being able to be a stand for who you are unapologetically. And nobody taught that to me. I was always looking like, Hey, do they think I'm cool? Okay. I must be cool. Do they think I'm an expert at what I'm talking about? Okay. I must be an expert. Do they think I'm beautiful? Okay. I must be beautiful. And that's a losing game. It's fleeting. It doesn't work. Um, and it's no fun <laughs> at the end of the day.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah, I'm taking notes. I see some people do it beautifully. I see some people do it in a sort of a taggy way. I'm like, oh, get over yourself. But some people, I am envious of their confidence and how much they believe in themselves. Yeah. And they are their best self promoter yeah. for sure. Ever.
2: And we all need a little cheerleader, you know, squad in our in our back uh, behind us. We all need that support. But it's when we when we rely on it that I think things can get in trouble and we can't produce it for ourselves. And I get it too, like if confidence is of and you know we're confident in one area and again this is always this is just what I'm working on the rest of my life I think these that's the other misconception of all this self image stuff it's like one and done no it's like to me this is a lifelong game like new level new devil I don't deal with like the the food you know disordered eating anymore but like I have other coping mechanisms or I have other you know holes in my self image and the cool thing about it is when you look at yourself through the lens of your self image it always grows and evolves as you do Love and that. you can just keep shifting it.
0: Well, love that. And next I want to get into back to the diet mentality, unbrainwashing ourselves. And we'll get into a little bit more of your story with the cost of skinny and what you had to go through. All right. So I've been saving on shopping this year by only buying new clothes when I've sold some clothes that I no longer wear. And what this has done is it's forced me to be super wise when I'm adding clothes back into my closet. All you got to do is go to quince.com slash Amy for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Amy. You're going to get free shipping. Again, 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash Amy.
1: Uh, summer, the best time of the year, usually it doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices.
0: Start ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash four things for twenty-five percent off. All right, if you want to look cute and feel comfortable at the same time when you're, you know, at a festival or concert because it's festival and concert season right now, it's gotta be all about the boots. And Takova's boots is where it's at. That is your stop. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Okay,
0: so while I had an eating disorder and crazy unhealthy relationship with food for sure for many, many years of my life, I don't know that it, it resulted in anything like you had going on. How... In the world, did you end up with back surgery?
2: Yeah, ironically. So I lost all this weight and then got into the fitness industry and was this, you know, air quotes expert for in the fitness world. And I was on TV and newspapers and people think it was like, oh, she was carrying around all this extra weight. That's how she hurt her back. It's like, no, I was actually at the height of my career and I was in great shape when I injured my spine. And you ask 10 different doctors what they think happened and they'll give you 10 different answers. But I think what happened was, first of all, I think if I knew then what I knew now, I could have avoided it. But I'm also grateful that it happened because I wouldn't be able to be here having this conversation with you if it didn't, you know, there was a greater purpose in it. But basically, I was this sedentary couch potato kid, teenager brought it with me into adulthood. I never discovered exercise until I was in my mid 20s. I was in chorus and yearbook to avoid PE. So what I did was as an adult, I never had these like functional movement patterns or like the patterns that athletic kids have growing up. So I went and got really, you know, fit and lean on top of a very unstable body it first manifested itself with a little bit of shoulder pain that i felt was maybe like a an injured uh, rotator cuff, and then it turned into debilitating back pain. That it was about four years in between my first spell of pain and my actual surgery, where I did everything I could to avoid it. You know, pain management. You know, we did the, the X-rays, the MRIs, all that, and nobody could really address a direct cause. To be honest, basically it it culminated and it got to the point where like I needed an emergency surgery because it was not getting better, and and there was a lot of basically calcified, hardened nerve fluid sitting on or disc fluids sitting on my nerves so they need to get in there so the surgery was a success but I actually had a lot of neurological struggles afterwards like the left side of my body and the right side of my body felt different I cognitively emotively the way I described it is like the lights went off when I went under anesthesia and I was just different when I came back on like I felt more physically and emotionally I just processed things different I had a, a, like balance issues I was scared you know I was 25 at the time and I was like what's my body going to be like at 35 45 95 and so I I had to become my own advocate and basically, you know, physical therapy, you know, musculoskeletal stuff like didn't help. I need, I knew something inside me was like, this is a nerve thing. So I went and, you know, studied the nervous system, the physical, which led me to the mental and emotional and it's causing us to have these conversations now. But I realized like literally that that weight loss mentality the harder faster more no pain no gain I just wasn't listening to my body what my body was telling me to do was like slow down get functional probably go eat a sandwich Leanne like get some bread in you get some you know carbs in you I was it was just a a combination of just like I had not healed my struggles with food and I was depending on exercise to outburn what I was eating and I knew that if I stopped I would gain weight and I would have rather like dealt with an injury at the time that's just who I was than go gain weight it was a part of my disordered thinking. But, you know, the dysmorphic relationship with my body, like no matter how thin I got, you know, I call it the face off between my fat head and my skinny head. I had this awareness at a photo shoot for a magazine. I was contributing to Fitness RX magazine at the time. They were like wanting me to share my before and after story. Long story, a little less long, my editor kind of double dog dared me to do a bikini shoot. And I had this breakdown, like a week out from the bikini shoot where I was just like, the leanest I'd ever been like looking at the mirror at my like toned arms and my flat tummy and all the things I thought I wanted. And I was just hysterical because that's when I knew nothing had shifted. I call it the face off between my fat head and my skinny head. Like I literally had That's when all the self-imaging stuff really, you know, surfaced for me. So, you know, it's this prison where it's a prison of thinking, like it's never enough, like never skinny enough, never fit enough, never successful enough. And it is a cost, you know? And again, if you keep looking at it, like the weight is the thing that you want or the weight loss and diet mentality is the thing you want to get good at, you're going to keep practicing more of the problem. So when it comes to like, you know, other people really identifying, because I believe, and this is a blanket statement, but, and I'm generalizing, but I truly believe it is like if you have gotten indoctrinated into the weight loss mentality of the diet mentality, there is a cost of skinny and that's why I'm just here to create that awareness of like what's yours and I find that they fall into a couple of different categories you know and this really just reflects mine the first one is like your relationship with food I call it a food prison so is it restriction deprivation counting weighing you know micromanaging every carb you eat fat protein all that versus you know this idea of freedom and listening to your body and and knowing when you're why you're eating and who you're being while you're eating it and really that's a healing your relationship with food conversation you know the second prison is this, this body prison. You know, it can come in a different couple different fashions where you feel like the insides don't match the outsides, the actual like body image, like what you're saying to yourself and about your body. Um, but also a lot of women are living in this pain prison because they're sedentary and their doctor's like, hey, you need to go lose weight. And they're like, wait, I just went to an exercise class and hurt myself. And it's just a vicious cycle. Like they can't go run a 5k. So there's a pain prison and a big population of women that are suffering in that, you know, and it's a, a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of.
0: Which back to the doctor that yeah. was on our Outweigh special. He's a doctor who he used to say that to patients and he's like, I had no place telling any of my patients they needed to go lose weight. Yeah, He's like, I was actually contributing to the problem. Yeah. So anyway, I just and want to yeah, throw that in it's there. It's a great because point. Because if anybody ever is telling you that, I would try to go see a new yes,
2: doctor. Exactly. <laughs> Somebody that actually advocates for you and what you need and asks mm-hmm. you the questions that you need. But yeah. that's an example of a body prison, but also like what I call waiting for the weight. Like when I lose the weight, then I'll get in a bathing suit. When I lose the weight, then I'll go hang out with my children in, you know, out. Outside, When I lose the weight, then I'll go for the job that I want, the relationship I want. It's waiting for the weight and that's a body prison of itself.
0: You're missing life. It's passing you by. Yeah. Do you follow the bird's papaya yes, on I Instagram? Do. Yeah. yeah. She's such a great, great example, example of not wanting to miss life's moments yes. because she's not going to let... It. There was a time in her life yeah. where she would have missed swimming with her kids because she was worried about how she looked in a bikini and cellulite and this and that, blah, blah, blah. Absolutely. And now she's just out there rocking it she Rocks it. and is such a encouragement so yeah
2: I agree I'm so inspired by
0: her yeah yeah same same
2: the other two prisons to just be aware of you know that like social and relationship prison like I can't even tell you how many women I talk to that their weight is a third wheel in their relationship with their partner with their kids like the who they're being in front of their children about their weight where is it affecting you relationally but also just like missing out on social things like oh I can't go there because there will be food there or there I can't eat that or like what if people see me in a bathing suit or shorts or whatever and it's just like this social prison you know That's the other cost of skinny. The last cost of skinny that I want to bring awareness to, I think it's the most important one. It's your relationship with yourself. You know, for me, my emotional home, as in like, this was my identity. These were the goggles I saw myself through. My emotional home was fat, even though fat's not a feeling. I made it a feeling. My emotional home was shame and, you know, self-abandonment and self-rejection and and criticism and and, you know, comparisonitis. Like that was my emotional home. That was my cost of skinny because I was so focused on who I wasn't and focused on and by the way, it would have never been enough. I would have never been skinny enough. It wouldn't have mattered because my identity was fat. And so those are the four main prisons that I invite people to look out for is the food prison, a body prison, a like kind of social and relational prison, and then your own emotional home? What, what? Where do you spend the majority of your time yeah. emotionally?
0: And I know for you, the weight stuff started early and wasn't even your fault. And I think a lot of listeners don't know when you think of how you are as a parent and what you're projecting onto yeah. your children. I think of how I did some harmful things. I've only been a mom almost three years now because we adopted and uh, they're older so my daughter even remembers she's seen the shift in me and Mm -hmm. how I wouldn't allow certain foods and how I ate one way and then now how I'll have ice cream with them. She notices that different or if we're at the store and I allow certain candies to be or chips to be thrown in the cart that I would have never allowed Mm -hmm. and she's like you're so different than you used to be. I would have never thought you would have let us buy that and so it's you know it's Not just affecting you, it's affecting those around you. And I know for you, quickly just share the butter story from when you were eight years old, right? Yeah,
2: I remember, you know, my dad took me to Weight Watchers when I was either seven or eight. I was in third grade. My brother and I were making omelets in the kitchen and he saw us using like a whole stick of butter because we just didn't know. And my dad, I just have to say, is he's my biggest champion, my biggest fan now. And the drama used to be my dad caused me to gain weight. The data is, no, he took me to Weight Watchers. Um, So he took me to Weight Watchers because he was scared I was going to turn out like him. He was just leveled. Loving me the best way he could, but I didn't know that at the time. And I developed a lot of uh, daddy issues around it, you know, that I had to go heal. And that's another thing when I talk about like taking radical ownership and responsibility, I talk to a lot of women, you know, the majority of the women I work with are in their forties, fifties, and sixties. And you know, some of them are living in a narrative where it's like, well, this is how I'm going to be because my mom did this to me or like I had a horrible childhood and there is absolute, you know, love and compassion for our past. And we have to, at some point in time, take ownership for who we're being right now. It's not to dismiss what happened to us, but when it comes to the narrative of us taking ownership and healing something, we have to, I believe, take ownership of what we have the ability to do now and focusing on, you know, what we didn't get from our families or what was done to us, you know, with our story around food or whatever. Um, Although it can be really powerful to just, you know, resolve that it's also very problem focused. And again, your solution lives on the other side, you know? So that's the other thing. A lot of women I work with had it air quotes done to them. And here, at the end of the day, parents are just doing the best they can with what they got and trying to love their kids, you know? And- I have clients that come to me and say, hey, I've noticed my daughter's gaining weight. And the first thing I say to them is, you have to become who you want to model to them. That's the solution to that, is become the model of what you want them to learn. It's not about what you say, it's about what you do. Just like your daughter's notice, Mm -hmm. she didn't notice the, the food, she noticed the carefree version of you. She noticed the freedom version of you that was like, hey, this is delicious, we're gonna enjoy this together. And it was the energy. That she really noticed, and then she, I'm sure she put those words to it. But she first noticed that energy from you, and you both win. You get to be that version of yourself as a mom, and she gets you as a mom, because you're modeling it. Of it's just who. That's what I mean by who you're being. That was you, not just doing a doing. It was you being a different version of yourself, and that's what reacted in you doing differently.
0: That's uh, so huge. Yeah, I'm much.
2: I love her.
1: it
0: this version of me especially yes with well you're kids. doing the work I hear I mean you really are you're asking
2: the questions and it, it's we're all on that journey it's a lifelong journey four things
1: with Amy Brown.
0: okay so as we do with a lot of guests Leanne I'm gonna have you share four things that you're grateful for and just gratitude is something we have got to focus on always I'm not the best at it but I mean that's why Mary and I tried to make our own Four Things Gratitude journal. And well not tried. We did. Yeah. And but we wanted to make it simple. Yeah. But I have some listeners that are like, I don't even want to do that. I don't want to write anything down. Yeah. So my challenge to everyone listening is after you hear Leanne share hers, like what's your plan to practice gratitude today? Can you make a list of four? If you don't want to write them down or if you already have a four things journal, go grab it and and do yours, whether it's morning, afternoon, night, find a time. But some people I'll share what they've emailed in is they just kind of popcorn do it throughout the day. Like four random times, they're intentional about noticing and speaking out loud. I am thankful for this. Oh, wow, look at this right now. I'm very thankful for this moment. And then they get their four throughout the day. And then they start over again the next day if they can. So it's not anything that you have to write down. Although I I think there is power in writing it. And I have noticed that in myself, but if you're just easing in or dipping your toe in the gratitude pool. And you know, I think right now with where we are in this season, 2020 is rough as it is. There's a lot going on, but we're entering election time and we have to take care of ourselves. There's a lot of negativity out there and I just want it to be Christmas time (laughs) I want the election to be over uh, but take care of yourself if you are watching the news limit your news if you are noticing a bunch of politics stuff on Instagram monitor how long you're on there make sure you're following diverse things you're not just inundated by one side or following hateful people spewing this and that about either side I don't care which one it is let's take care of ourselves during these times and choose to be kind and then also focus on what we can do for ourselves and, you know, gratitude is something you can do for yourself. So with that said, Leanne, and also I want to point out, I'm thankful. It was really cool when I opened the door and we had never met before, but I opened the door and Leanne is wearing an empowered women, empower women shirt that my daughter Stashira designed, which is so awesome. And when Mary and I were putting that together, we wanted a way to give back to organizations that are supporting women and girls all around the world. So that is cool that you have that on. It's and one of the, it's I, what I think about this show and what you're doing, really. Oh, well, thank yeah. you. So that warmed my heart. And, and then I just think of Stashira, my daughter, and how mm. she did such a great job. So I'm thankful for her too. See, Yay. then it's like a domino. And you is. can be like, oh, and then cascade? I'm thankful for, and then I think of herself soccer game this yes, week and I'm thankful for her soccer coach and like it's a, absolutely it you it's I know sometimes it seems daunting but you can think of the things so yeah. With like that said, I would like to hear what you are thankful for.
2: Yeah. And just a quick little kind of caveat about that. You know, I also used to struggle with the whole gratitude thing. I thought I was doing it wrong. Like it became a shopping list almost for me, you know? And so the distinctions that came for me are really just like, first of all, what's the alternative? If I'm not in gratitude, I'm in lack. I'm thinking about what I don't have, who I'm not being, what's not working, what um, where I'm not enough, you know? And it, it really is talking about this self-image and identity thing. It like the conversations for me shifted from like, instead of doing gratitude, how can I become the version of myself that practices gratitude and it really is just literally like what do they say where energy goes um, or where time goes energy flows right and so it's like if your focus or where focus goes I should say if your focus it's literally a shift in focus like you just demonstrated that cascade when you shifted your focus to gratitude it was a cascade a cascade a cascade and that's really how energy works like we get to choose like what are we focusing on you know so in terms of gratitude in general focusing more on what you do have and what you do want more of and like the solution that you want to create and one of the things I do is I'm almost grateful in advance. That's one of my versions of faith, like being grateful in advance for what I can't yet see and just because again, what's the alternative in the waiting? I can either be in anxiety and like man, disappointment or like fear that it's not going to happen or I can just live with this kind of like almost positive expectation that it is. You know, so in terms of the three the four things I'm grateful grateful for I have to say Nashville, first of all, because I'm not a a born Nashvilleian. And it's just it's transformed everything about my life, who I am, the courage that I needed to gather to do some of the things I'm doing. And I don't believe I would have found my faith if I hadn't moved to Nashville. And just the the actual city itself is just it bolsters creativity and self love. And it's amazing. And I'm biased because I live here, but I live here because I love it. And I'm grateful for it. So that's thing number one. Nice. Thing number two would be warm chocolate chip cookies. And and this to just kind of explain about this this is how i love on people it started a friend of mine was having a cancer anniversary party she had cancer she survived and she was having a wig party and i was like you know what I could get her a bottle of wine or something but i she loved chocolate chip cookies i'm like i'm going to research and make the best of the best of chocolate chip cookies so i like kind of pulled from a bunch of different recipes and made a cookie cake a chocolate chip cookie cake and i've been told that it's people's favorite or the best they've ever had i personally am biased and love It. But now it's just this symbol of love for me. Like when I love on somebody, I, for birthdays and stuff, I love with a big chocolate chip cookie cake. So warm chocolate chip cookies. And it also just really symbolizes how far I've come with my own relationship with food.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I might need to get that recipe. Absolutely. Uh,
2: (laughs) The third thing might seem a little bit ironic, but it's really, I'm grateful every day for my past suffering and shame. You know, we talked about that the the depth of your darkness equals the height of your light. And it's only because I know who I was when I was living in my own food and body and shame prison that I can. meet women where they are and they know they're not being judged. And I can hold that space for them because I've been there. And and to be honest, I never wanna forget it. Like I never wanna forget where I came from because that allows me to not only connect, but give women permission to, you know, I can speak about my stuff without any shame anymore. This was, it's just data, it's just part of my story. And if I can give women unwritten permission to just step into their own story and see that their own pain and shame and suffering is their gateway out, like it is their door to freedom, um, then I'll share it all day every day and I'll be grateful for it every day fourth thing would be having four seasons in the year. I grew up in Florida where we had two seasons, hot and hotter. And just being in a place where there is a summer, a winter, a fall, a spring. I Which is your favorite? Fall, for sure. Oh, just yeah. the okay, burst of colors and, of course, the pumpkin spice, everything. And just being able to see the distinction. Like, we all have our own metaphorical seasons, but just having actual seasons to kind of create a clearing when you need it is priceless.
0: Oh, yeah. we. I think I know that most of my listeners, their favorite time is fall, too, because we do a four things fall pullover and people have gone crazy for them this year which is awesome because they support my life speaks in haiti right now and the work that they're doing but we have a burnt orange one with different four things and a maroon one with another four things and they're so people are so excited to get them i think that we're just so eager for fall and the temperature started to drop here a little bit So I am so with you on the fall. And I think most of my listeners are in with the fall or my Four Things community, um, or at least people that shop Espoir because... The fall pullovers, I they're, they're my, Now I'm like ready for next fall, so maybe yeah. we can add another color. <laughs> Last year we just did the orange, then we added the maroon, and then now I'm like thinking, oh, Mary and I need to talk about do we need like a, a maple a syrup color. Green one or a maple <laughs> syrup color? Yeah, something next year with another four things because it's just such there's yeah, something about it's this a good time, time. Of year. good it's energy. So good. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it's fall. We get to get out and enjoy that, especially in Nashville. We got awesome weather here today. So hope wherever you are, you are having a awesome day, and awesome week, and you head into your weekend. I guess with podcasts, it's weird. You never know when people are actually listening, yeah. but thank you, Leanne, for coming yes. by. Thanks and for having me. If people want to find you, where do they go? Yeah, you can find
2: me at it's Leanneellington.com. It's L E A N N E L L I N G T O ncom And if you are curious to hear about my philosophies around, you know, the stressless eating me- mentality and healing your self-image and relationship with food, you can just go to stresslesseating.com, stresslesseating.com.
0: This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Takovas is your stop before attending your next concert. All Takovas boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Takovas has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink, and shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, well, just go to Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
2: Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations.
1: Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily.